Good evening to you. Thank you for the invitation to come and be with you in this meeting. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We'll start there just in a moment. Paul's letter to Rome, the 15th chapter. While you're turning, it would be wrong for me not to make at least one comment about how well you have received our daughter. Uh, parents are often a little apprehensive when their children move out one by one and hope it'll all be okay, and she has been taken care of rather well. So we really appreciate what you've done to make her feel welcome and a part of you, and that means a lot to her mother and me. So thank you again for receiving Katie into fellowship. Tonight's lesson, I want to hopefully uh, accomplish two goals or two aims. First off, I want us to hopefully prove the truthfulness of a very important New Testament verse, which we'll read just in a moment. That'll be hopefully self-evident when we go through the lesson. But as Greg mentioned in his opening remarks, the second aim we want to accomplish is as we see uh, the facts being presented in our lesson as we go through the scriptures that we'll, that we'll talk about tonight, it's incumbent upon us to see that they're true and that they're biblical, that they're, that they're sound truth, and that we put them into daily practice. We need to apply uh, what we read tonight. So that will be our goals this evening. But to get us started, to sort of introduce my, my topic, I want you to think about something that maybe all of us have, have had, that has had happened to each of us, uh, a, an isolated incident that had a long-lasting effect into the future. One episode that took place one day in your life, and its consequences just reach far into the future. It can be for the good or for the bad. For example, let's think about maybe the day that you met the person you eventually married. You didn't know that. But when you met him or her, you sort of took notice of him or her, and, well, that, that, he's handsome or she's pretty, and like you get to know him or her better, and things begin to develop, and eventually one day romance begins and you fall in love and you get married. So that, that one day started a chain reaction. That's a good thing. Or conversely, you could have a situation where you met a person, maybe at school, maybe at work, and you befriended this person, but this person took you down the wrong path and was not a good friend. And you began to do things and see things and, and go places that a child of God really doesn't have any business doing or, or seeing or participating in. And so I've talked about what someone called fate, those fateful days or those fateful moments when one incident took place in your life, and it, it just propelled you down this, down this path or this road, again, either for the good or for the bad. Look at verse 4 of Romans 15. This is a verse that's been quoted and studied for generations. Paul says, whatever was written aforetime or in the earlier times was written for our instruction or admonition, so that we uh, but so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now, we know what that verse is telling us. The things written aforetime was the things written in the Old Testament. I love studying from and preaching from the Old Testament. There's just a lot of rich material in there. And these are well-known Bible stories that are talked about in our Bible classes. They're, they're, they're preached on in assemblies. They're, they're, they're read in our homes. And, and we can easily identify with the characters. We can see the story as it unfolds just easily on the page. And we can follow those stories rather easily. And I want to present one lesson like that tonight. We're going to talk about the Bible character of Lot. 
And I want to suggest to you that Lot had a fateful day. And some things happened because of that one isolated incident. And hopefully when we're through tonight, you would agree with me that this story does indeed give us some biblical instruction about the truthfulness of when we make a choice, it's not made in a vacuum. It has consequences that often reach a lot farther than we may realize they do. And we need to see that. So let's turn our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 13. And let's look at our points together as we go through this. Let's, let's just go ahead and read Genesis 13. And uh, we'll read the first 13 verses of that chapter. And we'll look at other passages as we go through his story. But we're going to start at that place. Genesis chapter 13. And I'm reading tonight from the New American Standard. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me, if, you, and if to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. We'll stop right there just for the moment. So what, what, what did Lot choose? Lot chose some things. Well, we know from the story we just read, the abundance of possessions that both he and his uncle Abram had were so great, they began stepping on one another. They just were getting in the way of each other. And they could not coexist happily or peacefully. So strife began to develop between uh, Lot's herdsmen, those who tended to his cattle or his, and his livestock, and Abram's possessions. And so they began to feud. And Abram said, uh, listen, we can't have that because we're brethren. Let's, let's not have strife. He tried to play peacemaker. So he proposed a solution, verses 8 through 9 that we just read a moment ago. Lot, you look out here, and, and you just, just, just look out in front of you. And, and there's all kinds of space out here. Now, you just you pick a spot, you, you pick a direction, and I'll go the other way. If you choose this way, then I'll go here. If you choose this, then I'll go there. Abram didn't care. He was, he was that magnanimous about it. Now, by, by rights, who should have had the first choice? It had been Abram. He was the patriarch. But he gave Lot the choice. 
So Moses then records for us in verses 10 through 12 that we read a moment ago the criteria that Lot used. Look at what Lot was thinking. Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered. This was, of course, Moses continues to write. This was before the destruction of Solomon and Gomorrah. And Lot saw that it was, again in verse 10, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so verse 11, based upon that criteria, based upon that thinking that he had, he chose that direction. And obviously then, Abram went the other way. So Moses records it. And I'm, what I'm saying tonight is, this was Lot's fateful day when he made that choice. And that will bear some consequence that we'll see later later in our lesson. Now, I didn't read verse 13, but Moses also records something else in that one verse. Moses also writes, Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against or before the Lord. So at the end of verse 12, Moses writes that Lot pitched his tent as far as Sodom. He went that far because it was, it was great for his cattle business. It was great for his herds. But Moses says the condition of Sodom was spiritually deplorable. So that's what he chose. Now, we know with the choice, again, we don't make him in a vacuum. There are, there are other variables around and connected to that choice that we may not be aware of. And when you make a choice in this direction, then you've got to take what all goes with it. You just can't take, well, I want this, but I don't want that that goes with it. We can't do that. I, I think we understand that. So there are some things that I think Lot didn't know and that maybe he did know. Let's examine those. There's no indication in the Scripture to me that Lot knew the following things. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I don't, I don't see any biblical um, indication that he knew, first of all, about the Sodomites in verse 13. He may have known that, but the Bible doesn't tell us that he knew they were that wicked, that they were that uh, depraved in their lifestyle, in their living. Of course, the Lord knew it, but there's no, there, there's no text that tells me that Lot knew that. I don't think even Lot knew the political environment. We won't read chapter 14, but that's the chapter where Lot gets caught up in the war of the kings. Five kings battled four kings, and and, uh, and all that went on with that, and Lot got taken captive in that war. So there was a political situation in that area that before Lot got there, I don't think he was aware of that. But when he moved in that direction, he got swept up into that. And again, that's the consequences of making that kind of a choice. I also don't think that Lot had any idea of the destruction God had planned for Sodom. And I say that based on chapter 18, and flip over there just for a second. Again, we won't read all that chapter. But this is the chapter where God sends the angels or his servants to earth, and Abram receives them and fixes a meal for them. And then I want to especially look at verse 17. Uh, the, the men rise up from there, that's Abram's, or Abraham at this time, uh, Abraham's house, and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Now look at verse 17. I think this is telling. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Not even Abraham knew. He didn't know. And so I don't even think Lot knew what was coming on the horizon for these two cities that are named specifically in this text. 
are going to be destroyed by by a, a, a divine punishment. Their cities are going to be laid waste. So I don't think he knew these things. But Lot did come to eventually know about Sodom. And I know that. Turn down to chapter 19, Genesis. And let's read the first seven verses of this chapter and make our point here. Now, the two angels came to Sodom. These are the ones that had just left Abraham in the previous chapter. They come to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. Uh, uh, and wash your feet, then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, verse 4, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind them and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. And we'll stop right there. I want to draw your attention back to verse 3. Can we say that Lot eventually came to know the dangers of Sodom? I believe we can because their original intention was it not to spend the night in the open square. That's what they said. Why did Lot, as it says in verse 3, why did he urge them so strongly? Why did he do that? I think we know the answer why. He knew what those men were about in the city. He knew what the Sodomites were inclined to do. And that was proven not long later. In fact, even before the night was over. You'll see there in verse 4, before they could even lay down for the evening, they come knocking on the door. Bring those men out, we may know them. And that means, of course, in a homosexual way, a sinful way. Bring them out. So even if Lot did not know this before he moved there, I believe he knows it now, very aware of it now. I think we'll see some other passages in the Scripture that bear that, bear that out. So here are some things that he did not know. But I believe this last point, he knows it now. Now, let me take a step back from our story and let's talk about us today. Lot is in the same situation sometimes we are, having to make a choice and then live with its consequences. Who can know everything? We have to decide something today for one part of our life or another. And who can know every variable? Well, nobody. You can't. I can't. Lot didn't. No one has one of these that I know of, a crystal ball where you get it out and you ask it all these questions and it gives you all the information before you even make your move. No one has that. So some of them say, surely I can't be responsible to know all these things that are really impossible for me to know before I make my decision. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. But what we do need to remember as God's children is that what happens tomorrow that we decide today, God does know, doesn't he? Aren't we taught to walk by faith and not by sight? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Not to walk by our own things, those are by our own human wisdom, but by what the Lord teaches us in his word. That's walking by faith. 
Don't we lean upon Him who knows, as Isaiah says, who knows the end from the beginning? God is like He's He's up here above time and space. We're we're confined to time and space, but God is not. And God is up here, and He He sees the beginning to the end of the whole thing, and we do not. And so, even though we have to make decisions about things that we don't know about yet, but as we're taught in the Scripture, if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then aren't we relying on His wisdom rather than our own? Wouldn't that be what that's teaching us? Look at James chapter 4 and verses 13 through 15. Hold your place here in, in Genesis just for a second. Turn back to uh, over to James chapter 4. These are well-known verses as well. James the fourth chapter. And he says in verse 13, Come now you who say, Tomorrow, or uh, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and we will spend a year there, engage in business and make a profit. And James then warns us, yet you do not know about tomorrow. You know what's going to happen. You're just a vapor that appears for a short while and then vanishes away. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. I think based on what he says in verse 15, if we even if we don't actually say the words, if the Lord wills, but if we are mindful of that, of that condition, that means knowing the Lord's will, being aware of what the Lord's will is. And so even though we don't have to have a crystal ball to make these decisions, if we know the Lord's will, that generally guides our lives in the right direction here or there, then we're not as likely, I would say, to make major mistakes when we make these choices that have consequences that we do not yet see. So, yes, no crystal ball is needed. We do walk by our faith, but we lean on God's wisdom. So, there's what Lot chose. And here are some things that Lot didn't see and something that he certainly knows by now. Now, this is really the heart of the lesson right here. Let's discuss now what he lost. This fateful day that Lot had, uh, it was a bad day. And I bet if we could let him choose it over, I bet he'd make a... Maybe I shouldn't say bet. Uh, if we let him choose it again, I, I would think he'd make a different choice. Seemed like to me that he would. So what did he lose? Sadly, uh, Lot suffered great loss because of those consequences that he made on that faithful day. And, and I've often said, and we've told our children this, and perhaps you've had the same talk with your children. As they get older and they start making more and more decisions that we made for them when they were smaller, we tell our children, look, to, to the best that you can, to the best of your ability, when you make a major decision in life, please also think about the consequences of what you're about to choose. Give that some thought as well, because it's going to take you places that you do not yet know. Or if you know those consequences and it's bad, then don't make that choice, because it won't wind up good for you. So... What are some things that Lot lost? I think Lot lost some very, very important things. Number one, I think he lost his moral compass. Go back to Genesis chapter 19 where we stopped reading. In verse 7, when those men came to his house, the men of the city, and they asked for the uh, uh, angelic messengers of Jehovah to come out and let them know them uh, carnally, Lot said, verse 7, Please, my brothers, do not act wicked. And if he stopped right there, it would have been okay. 
But he didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. I have a really hard time, honestly, wrapping my head around that verse. I just do. Because that's what he said. Where's his moral compass? To offer up his own daughters to these men who would have violated them, but yet don't touch my visitors. Why would Lot have said that? We'll come back to that question just in a little bit. I, I believe he lost his moral compass. I believe he lost his influence because of the choice that he made on that fateful day. Same chapter, now starting in verse 12. After the men of the city are struck blind by the angels, that's concluded in verse 11, now verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Who else do you have here? Uh, a son-in-law, and your sons and your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Now, I have a father-in-law. My father has, has died. He doesn't live anymore, but when he was alive. Uh, I would like to think that if my, either my father-in-law or my father said, Now, Jeff, I want to talk to you about something. They're older than I am. And they were, they were wiser about some things than I am. I think that I would listen to them. I would not agree with them in the end, but I would at least give them my hearing and be respectful and, and hear them out. Lot is not able to convince, even, even get his sons-in-law to listen to him. He's lost his ability to influence people because of where he lives. Now, where did his sons-in-law come from? Were they sodomites? I don't mean that in the, in the sinful sense, but just... Were they men of that area? Or were they of his, of his uh, ethnicity? The Bible doesn't say. But either way, he wasn't able to convince his own family, his own sons-in-law. He was not able to influence them anymore because of that environment. I believe lost, uh, also lost his sense of urgency. And if there's one thing that ought to characterize God's people, it's a sense of urgency. Because some things are not critical. Some things are not immediately urgent. But a lot of things are. A lot of things are urgent. Namely, salvation is always an urgent matter. Why is that? Because heaven and hell hang in the balance. That's why. The Bible teaches that. Well, look in verses 15 through the first half of verse 16. So after we read in the end of verse 14 that his sons-in-law are just, they just kind of reject him. They, they just, he's, he's, he's out of his mind. He's joking. He's jesting. Don't, don't pay him attention. Verse 15. When morning dawned, they... Is now breaking. The angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters. See, no, no more mention of the sons-in-law. Just forget them. You, your wife, and your daughters who are here, get up and go, or else you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. The next three, verse, or three words in verse 16, what does it say? But he hesitated. Why? Why did he linger? Why did he hesitate? Why did he not see what was coming? Did he not believe the angels? The Bible doesn't say. 
but he doesn't have a sense of urgency. He's been warned by messengers of God, this place is going to be destroyed. And if you stay, you'll be, as the end of verse 15 says, you'll be swept away with it. You'll be caught up in it. Now, I like to think if that was me, I'm packing my bags while they're still talking and I'm getting out of that place because I don't want to be caught up in the destruction. But Lot hesitated. Again, why? Why would a man who's been told that hesitate in such a way? We'll get to that again in a moment. Lot lost his possessions. Verses 24 through 25 doesn't mention Lot's possessions specifically, but we have to conclude that it did. Look at 30 and verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. When the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, think for a moment. Why did Lot choose this direction in the first place? Was it because of his possessions? Was it because of his herd and his livestock and his cattle? And he needed, he needed well-watered ground for them to graze? And to, and, and to pasture? Yes, that's why he chose this area. Now, where is all that that he chose? It's gone. Jesus one time said a long time ago, do not think that life is not more than what you possess. I'm paraphrasing, but it is. We are so much more than what we're made of. What we own down here, our lives are more important than that. And we can't afford to spend our lives making decisions making choices that concern mammon, that concern physical criteria. As Lot shows us here, that which he used to decide where he went is now gone. He lost that which was so important to him on that day when he made his choice. Lot lost his wife. Look in verse uh, uh, 26. Chapter 19, verse 26. After the destruction is, is mentioned through verse 25, Verse 26, but his wife, from behind him, he's, <clears throat> he's leading the way. She's behind him. She looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. Someone may say, well, why was she turned to a pillar of salt? Well, a very good reason. Look back at verse 7 in the chapter. When the angels were talking to them, um, that should be 17, I'm sorry, not verse 7, but verse 17, pardon me. So they bring them outside of, of the city, and they said, escape for your life, do not look behind you. The angels told them that, do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley, escape to the mountains, or you'll be swept away. Lot's wife disobeyed. And she has forever become an example, forever become an example of disobeying what God has said. Because what did Jesus say? Luke 17, verse 32, three simple words. What did he say? Remember Lot's wife. That's what he said. So Lot lost his moral compass. Lot lost his influence. Lot lost his sense of urgency about obeying the Lord's commands. Lot lost all those possessions that were so important to him on that day that he made his choice. Lot lost his wife. And to me, what may be the most tragic 
thing that Lot lost. Lot lost his daughters. And I don't mean to say that they weren't more important to him than his wife was, but it's because of how this story concludes that I think indicates just how bad a choice he made. Same chapter now, Genesis 19, starting verse 30. And let's read to the end of the chapter. Genesis 19 now, verse 30. So the city is destroyed. It's all over. Nothing but waste there now. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He stayed in the cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, that's the daughters now speaking, verse 31, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up or when she arose. On the following day, verse 34, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both, uh, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And as for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. That's how this concludes. What I want to emphasize is what the firstborn daughter said in verse 31. I think this is telling. They're now holed up in a cave somewhere. And the firstborn says to her sister, Our father is old. But look at her next thing. Look at it carefully. There is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Why would she say that? Why would she think that? Well, think of it this way. All the years that Lot kept his family in Sodom, what had he exposed his family to? Nothing but homosexuality. And it's a warped lifestyle. Some always say, well, now, Jeff, that's pretty harsh language, and that's, some say that's even hate speech. Well, you call it what you want. The Bible is certainly clear on how it views the sin of homosexuality. And what I'm saying is, for her to say this, she had been exposed so much to that lifestyle, she now says that there's no regular man out here to help us preserve our family. Let's have incest with our father just to preserve our family. When we continue to expose ourselves to a culture that is, that is not biblical, but it's not healthy spiritually, that's what's going to happen to anyone in that situation. So in that sense, I believe Lot lost his daughter. So look at all these things that Lot lost. Some were um, just nothing but possessions. Some were familial. Some were family. Some were relationships. Some had to do with himself, personally, his, his own sense of urgency. He lost every bit of that. Why? Was it the day that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone? Well, in a manner of speaking, yes. But what I'm saying is it goes back further than that. It goes back much earlier than that. When Lot made his choice on that day, when he decided for himself, I'm going to go this way for a carnal reason. 
then all these are like dominoes. They line up and they all fall when the whole thing falls apart in his life. And that's what we need to guard against as children of God. Yes, we have to make choices. We have to make decisions. But we need to, we need to think carefully about these things when we are faced with them. So, now some applications. This isn't just a Bible story. Again, we read Romans 15, verse 4. It's written for our learning. What are we to learn from this story? Well, not just that homosexuality is wrong. That, I mean, that's not the only lesson we learn from this. But what are we to learn from it? All of us are going to be faced with making choices. This faithful day, this, this day of faith, had its ultimate consequences. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Isn't that what Paul said? That's what Paul says about it in Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. And all of us make decisions. All of us do. Even when we're, when we're young. Those of you who are, who are teenagers, still in high school, uh, you'll blink your eyes twice, or e even middle school, or even in grade school. You'll blink your eyes twice, you'll be graduating high school, and then you'll start having to face those same decisions those of us who are older had to face. All right? Where am I going to go to school? Uh, what kind of job am I going to get? What, what am I going to do for a living? Um, who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? Uh, where am I going to work? Where am I going to church? All those are very, very important decisions. And we need to consider them soberly. We need to. And realize that when we make a choice today about any one of those areas, we also take along with that decision the consequences that come with it. And we need to make them in respect and deference to the Lord's will. What does God want me to do? What does, how does the Lord want me to think? Those kinds of criteria need to be first and foremost um, in our mind. <clears throat> we know we cannot physically leave our surroundings. Notice these two passages, and we're through in Genesis now. Um, John chapter 17. Jesus, in, in, in his prayer right before his sacrificial death. Notice what he says in that prayer about his disciples. And that, by extension, would also include us. In verse 13, Jesus prays to his Father, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them, that is, his, his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You know, there are some religious groups, they have the idea, let's just go be a hermit in a cave somewhere and remove ourselves from all this perversion and this filth and rot in our culture and that way we'll be protected. We can't do that, can we? Didn't Jesus also say in this sermon that we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth? How in the world can we be an influence for good if we go off somewhere and leave the world and be a hermit or go to the moon somewhere? I mean, we, we can't do that, obviously. And Paul repeats that, in essence, in 1 Corinthians 5 and verses 9 and 10 when he says that, you know, don't keep company with those in the world. And I didn't mean leave the world, because you can't leave the world. Here we are. Then what's the solution, brethren? Well, we have a solution, don't we? The solution is 
this thing between our ears up here. That's the solution. It's our, it's our thinking. It's our heart. It's our mind. It's, it's, it's what we do. It's, 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 it's the choices we make. It's the thinking we use to make our choices that helps us make the right decision. Whether we're making it for a godly reason or making it for a carnal reason. Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, as Paul writes. So the key to being in the world but not being of the world is how we think. I think that says it, says it best. Now, someone says, you're really beating up on Lot tonight, aren't you? You're not being fair to Lot. Well, let's look at some New Testament passages. Second Peter chapter 2, as we start to bring this to a close. Second Peter chapter 2. Peter discusses Lot. In a, in a way, in a manner of speaking. Talking about false prophets in this, in this context, and that God is able to, while at the same time judging and condemning the, the lawlessness of people, he's able to rescue or bring to safety those who are, who are lawful. Look here, starting in verse uh, 4. God did not spare angels who sinned. Peter mentions that. He did spare Noah, verse 5, in the ancient world. Verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which he did, we read about it tonight, by reducing them to ashes. Verse 7 now, he says, but if, or since, he also rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw, verse 8, and heard of that righteous man, while living among them, left his righteous soul tormented day after day in her lawless deed. Was Lot a righteous man? Yes. Peter says he was. I'm not saying he was, a, he, he was a bad guy. Not at all. He was a righteous man. So we need to also stress that as well. But he chose to place himself and his family in an environment, as verse 8 says, that vexed him or tormented him, as Peter says, day after day. And that was his problem. That was his problem. We know we can't help the world we live in. We need to try to be salt and light, don't we? But John says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and it does. So we try to influence where we can. But, brethren, we cannot knowingly place ourselves or our family, those that we've been entrusted with, in situations that are not to their spiritual good. We just can't do that. We, we, we can, and, and if we do, we'll reap the consequences like Lot reaped. And it will be the destruction of our family and our spiritual livelihood, if you will. So let's ask these questions. And we saw how dearly it cost, and Lot lost a lot of things. So consider these final questions with me. Before moving to Sodom, let's go back to that day when Abram, proposed the solution to their strife-ridden dilemma. And he says, uh, Lot, here, here's, here's my solution. So he proposed it. What do you think Lot should have done? What should he have done? Well, there's lots of things we could think of. But what would a righteous man have done? Maybe deferred to Abram. Let him choose. Maybe ask Abram's advice. Maybe speak to other people in the area who knew that lay the land a lot better than he did. There's a couple of things right there that he could have done. I don't think I'm doing too much damage by 
this little speculation, but those things are not outside the realm of possibility. I think we can see that that's what a righteous man should have done. And here's a better question. After he got to Sodom, and again, based on the passage in Genesis 18, when Lot urged those angels to not stay in the open square because he knew. So I'm convinced now Lot knew Sodom's culture. He knew it very well. Once he knew that culture, what should he have done? Well, I'm my family here, so we can't leave now. Why not? Yes, you could. Move your family. Families are a gift from God. Just as much as God brought Eve to Adam, I believe God brings, in a metaphoric way, our wives to us today. It's a gift. And our children are a gift from God. We are stewards of our family, those of us who are in positions of leadership. And it's incumbent upon us to make the right decisions for those that we have charge of. So once he learned this, now how, it took him how long to learn it? I don't know, but he knew it. What should he have done? The better question, what would a righteous man have done? Pack us up and get us out of here. Because it's doing damage to my family. And this was a mistake. In fact, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you. I've made decisions not, not too far in the distant past that regarded our family, even when all of our children were still home. And it was the wrong decision to make. I shouldn't have made that decision. It was a bad decision. It's never wrong to say, that was a bad move. Let's jump off the gerbil wheel, okay? Quit, quit running along the wheel, and let's fix this and go the right way now. That's what we need to do. That's what Lot should have done. But he didn't. As Peter says, he stayed there, and this lawless condition vexed him and tormented him day after day. And it cost his family dearly cost him dearly. And we can see how that could have been corrected. So, the question is for me and you. You know, where will you pitch your tent? Well, I'm thinking about this for a career. I'm thinking about this option, that option. And if I choose this way, it's really going to help my business. It'll help me make a lot of contacts that I could use to, to do this and that. I mean, you know, meet a lot of new people and so forth. And all those things might not be bad. I'm not saying they're just by default they're bad, but they could be. They could come with some bad spiritual consequences that will be detrimental to your faith if that's, if that's what one chooses. So will we bed down in the middle of Sodom like Lot did? Or will we search out all options then compare them to what we know the Lord expects of us based on His revealed will and then make our decision? I can say with all confidence, based on Genesis 19 and verse 16, that Lot and his family left Sodom. The Bible says that, doesn't it? Lot and his wife and his two daughters. He couldn't get his sons-in-law to go, anybody else. But I know those four people left Sodom. The Bible says that. But the problem is, I'm just not sure that Sodom ever left Lot and his family. You see the difference between those two? There's a big difference between those two. Lot left Sodom, but did Sodom leave Lot? I don't think so. That culture became a part of him. And it became how he thought and how he dealt with situations. 
I believe the Bible bears that out. And what I'm saying to us tonight is when this took place, it just didn't happen on that day that God destroyed those cities. What I'm saying is there was one fateful day. When did it start? When Lot made that choice. Way back there. I choose this direction for my, for my business, for my livestock, for my cattle. It's well watered. It's, 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 it looks good. That was his criteria. And that's when it started. We've got to be careful. So that's the lesson tonight. You and I, we have fateful days. We do. Maybe you don't like the word fate, and, and that's fine. But I think you know what I'm saying. We all come to these moments where we have to decide something. We can't just sit back and not decide anything. That's, that's, that's not appropriate. You'll have to come with some very life-changing decisions. But the the the... the the point is, what's the criteria you're going to use? Will you use your father's will if, if, if you're his child? Will you make your decision that keeps you in harmony with revealed truth? Or will you use carnal criteria? Wealth, status, uh, those things of that nature. That's, that's a choice. No greater choice will ever be made. Please listen. No greater choice will ever be made than whether or not you become a child of God. That's your biggest decision. And if you've come here tonight, we are certainly glad you're here. Glad that you came to worship with us. We hope that you've been instructed, not by my presentation, because I'm, I'm just a man, about, about what the Scripture teaches. And if you're not yet a New Testament Christian, in that you've not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing that, if you've not repented of your sins, turned your back on the way you're living and start living like you ought to, if you've not confessed his name before people, like this good company here tonight, and if you've not yet been baptized into water for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are not a Christian. I don't say that to hurt anybody. I don't. But that's just the truth about it. So if that's your condition tonight, you can leave this building better than you came in. I hope that you are better than Lot in that you'll see your sense of urgency. Don't delay. Do not delay. Because your next breath just may be your last one. It may be all of our last ones. The Lord may come. And we won't want anybody to be unprepared to face eternity. So we're going to sing this hymn. We're going to invite you to make a response tonight to the gospel. Obey the Lord. Become his disciple. Or, if you are a Christian, you've made that, that answer to the gospel in the past. But maybe you've gone down the road a lot went down. Maybe you've made some wrong decisions that have cost you spiritually. They need to be repented of. And tonight we would say to you, whatever your present-day Sodom is, leave it. Get out of it right now. Make correction. Pray that the Lord will forgive you, and he'll pardon you if you'll pray penitently. He'll forgive you. And then jump off the gerbil wheel. Start living like you ought to. And honor God with your criteria and your choices. So this hymn is being sung to invite you tonight. Would you come while we sing to invite you with our invitation hymn?